Please stand up to read the scripture. Please turn to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. Let us begin. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beholdeth began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down and first and consoleth whether he be able with ten thousand men to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost his flavor, where shall it be salt seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that have ears to hear, let him hear. God bless you, church. This morning and turn to Luke chapter 14. We come to the end of another year. Don't they go quickly? Of course, there's always reflection at the end of a year, which is a good thing. The unexamined life, as been often said, is not worth living. So it's good to examine our lives. It's good to look forward. It's, you know, that's part of life, too, is looking forward. It's good to make plans for the year ahead and have goals and then pray for those things to be accomplished. But it's good to have you here with us today to finish the year. So as we begin the message, we continue our series on the parables, and I believe this is an important passage of scripture and important, very important teaching of Jesus because he teaches here in a certain way that I don't find anywhere else in the Gospels when he tells us to count the cost. So that's the message this morning and it's really a part two. I did the first part, if you can remember back before the Christmas season, I did the first part. I'll do a quick review and then we'll continue the message. Count the cost in Luke chapter 14. And this significant phrase appears one time in this text. It's in verse 28. So why don't we read that verse together as we begin. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? So as we come to the end of this year and face a new year, let's count the cost of what it will be like for us to live for Jesus Christ, or count the cost if you don't. Count the cost, though, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, we all must do. 
So let's pray as we begin. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll take this time and glorify your name. Use your word to really break through our stubborn, selfish wills, Lord. We all struggle with selfishness and pride, Lord, and we often want to be like the Israelites during the days of the judges to just do what is right in our own eyes. But Lord, we pray that we would count the cost and do what is right and pleasing to you for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you'll agree with me that life is filled with intense pressure. One of the things, you'll probably hear about this as people review 2023, one of the things that was a big news event in the past year was when the Titan submarine descended with five people on board to view the remnants of the Titanic. That's what they were going down. Within one hour and 45 minutes, there was a catastrophic implosion of this Titan submarine. The owner and CEO of the Titan was on board. His name was Stockton Rush. And four others were on board, and they spent $250,000 for a one-hour and 45-minute submarine ride. That didn't end so well. When that submarine imploded, they instantly all died. A lot of was said about, remember this news event of the past year? It it was just last year. You might say, oh, was that last year? Yeah, that was in June of last year. Well, a lot of things were said, but in reviewing that, it was interesting, and this is kind of a side note, and not the reason for this catastrophe, But they actually used a Sony brand PlayStation 3 game controller to guide the submarine. I don't know if I would want to go down with a Sony game controller guiding the sub. But but that wasn't the big problem. The biggest problem was in the hull of the sub, and this is the hull, this central part, there was material used, and it says it even up here on the screen, a carbon fiber composite was was the main material of this hull, and it had never been adequately tested. And it wasn't proper material to be used to go down into those extreme depths with the, which the water would, would, would put so much pressure on that sub. And so it completely imploded so quickly. In other words, Stockton Rush did not count the cost of what kind of materials were needed in order to endure the pressure of the water in that deep depth. Many people even warned him and told him it was unsafe. He never got the sub tested. There was no industry that, there was no government regulation, there was nothing, he he did not, put the submarine to any test to make sure it could withstand that pressure. He just said, no, trust me. And he didn't count the cost that the extreme pressure of the deep sea would put on that sub, and he perished. 
A few weeks ago, I told you about Ernest Shackleton, where he took just this schooner-type ship and thought he could cross the Antarctica and go through those ice, you know, those heavy icebergs and, 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 and so forth. This is early 1900s. And they didn't make it far at all until his, his schooner called the Endurance got trapped in the ice. And it, it, it's a really an incredible story. If you want to read the story, there's a, there's a book called The Endurance, named after the ship. But it talks about how when this ship was trapped in the ice, that 10 million tons of ice, the pressure, not of the depth of the water, but the pressure of the ice on the ship, 10 million tons of ice pressure slowly crushed the ship. And so Ernest Shackleton and his crew had to get off that ship before they would be crushed in the ice with the ship. Immense timbers, many of them a foot thick, screamed under the pressure of the ice. And when they broke, it was like gunshots going off when those heavy timbers were being broken by the power of the ice. That's, that's some pressure, isn't it? And, it, and the the. There were iron plates on the floor, and the steel floor plates screeched in agony as the ice pressured that ship and scrunching even those floor plates and screeching they did as they buckled under the powerful pressure of that ice. And I'm only saying that to use as an illustration. We're under this kind of pressure in life. Life is filled with pressure, and we need to count the cost that the materials wherewith we are building our lives can withstand this immense pressure. Marriage is under intense, you know, it's, it, there's pressure to be married and to stay married. You have to endure pressure like down in the deep waters because sometimes the pressure of life could crush your marriage or when you have children you're going to be under incredible pressure to bring up those children in the right way and not let them do certain things that all their friends are doing or to be a single person you're going to be under intense pressure to keep your eyes on the Lord and not get all sucked into the immoral ways and thinking. This society, our culture, is putting incredible pressure on us to buckle, to be crushed, to cave in our faith and just give up. But I say to you, beloved, count the cost because if you want the best materials wherewith to build your life, you find them in the Word of God. You'll find them through prayer. You'll find them through the local church and being involved and faithful in a local church. I believe that's very important for us to withstand the pressure. Now, the world is not thinking this way, and we are, no doubt, we have to be different from this world. But today's message, I want to simply say, count the cost to endure this life of pressure. Because Ernest Shackleford, or Shackleton, I told you how he put out an advertisement and 5,000 people signed up to go and maybe die in the Antarctic. And only 28 were signed up for his expedition. 
But we are on a much more exciting expedition for Jesus Christ. We have to see that the life lived for Jesus Christ on this earth is an exciting expedition to live for Jesus. But being a disciple, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the half-hearted. It's not for those with a shallow faith. If you never read your Bible, never pray, or only come to church when you feel like it, you're going to be crushed under the weight of the pressure of life. So, beloved, the big idea, again, of this message is that we must count the cost if we're going to follow Jesus Christ. And this is the teaching of Jesus here, to count the cost, whether we have sufficient to finish. A lot of people start saying, oh, I'm going to be a Christian, but they don't finish. Don't you want to finish? This past year, we've had people who were with us for a long time, and they go back into sin or go back to, into the ways of the world because just the pressure of the world, the pressure of the flesh, the pressure of satanic temptation, it's real. We're all under this pressure. So let's count the cost and let's realize following Jesus is the best and ultimately the only way. So we looked last time at this, the three illustrations in counting the cost. And now we're going to go forward and talk about three words and then three truths. So there's three, three points with three things. There's three illustrations. And we said the, and the, the three illustrations are we are to be builders in a great work. And that's in verse 28. Which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and counts the cost? And then not only are we builders, but we're battlers, we're warriors. And that's in verse number 31 and 32. What king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. And so that's the parabolic illustrations of building and battling. And then the third parabolic illustration here is that we're to be salt. Now notice my my a little bit stretched alliteration with bees there. Do you like that? We're to build, we're to battle, and we're to be salt. Okay. Okay. So I hope that'll just help you to remember. But the be salt point is really kind of ties, I believe, the first two together. And we spent quite a bit of time on this. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a lot of time, but I must just say this about salt, if we can remember that salt was and a very precious and valuable commodity in the ancient world. Because it was like their refrigerator. What our refrigerator is to us, salt was to them. So to share salt with someone was to share friendship with them. It was an act of friendship. And in this verse that we looked at, where from Mark, where Jesus said so interestingly, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. So who's the sacrifice? We are. We're what kind of sacrifice? A living sacrifice. The Old Testament meal offerings were sprinkled with salt, but we as living sacrifice are to be the salt of the earth. And that was our scripture memory verse when we dealt with this message the first time. The salt of the earth. So what does that mean? That means we're to go forth as a living sacrifice for Jesus Christ. And we want to share with this world the most precious, valuable commodity 
to live for the Lord. And it's an act of friendship, if you will. In an act of friendship, we want to spread the friendship with Jesus that we have. Is Jesus your friend? Is Jesus your friend? You want others to have Jesus as their friend. And as the salt of the earth, you're going to let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to be light and we're to be salt. In this world, spreading the gospel, sharing the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ, the best friend, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus Christ. So those are the three illustrations. We're to build, battle, and be salt. Now let's look now at three words in counting the cost. And in a sense, you know, going back to my illustrations of the, the submarine, the Titan sub that was crushed in the depth of the water, or the endurance ship that was crushed under the weight of the ice. I believe these three words here will really test us to see whether we have what it takes to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Three words to consider in counting the cost. Now, these three words are shocking. Jesus gives us these words to shock us. They are severe words. They will try us. They will make us think. They will say, really, Lord? How could you even say that? But they're words that involve our true surrender to Jesus Christ. And if we're going to live for him and be his disciple, we must realize and enter into and embrace these three words. Because each time he gave one of these key words, he says, if you do not do this, what does he say at the end of verse 26? What does he say? And I liked how Lebo read this. Lebo emphasizes very well when you read this. Verse 26, what does it say right at the end there? It says, he cannot be what? My disciple. And what does he say? At the end of verse number 27, what does he say? You cannot be my disciple. And what does he say at the end of verse 33? You cannot be my disciple. If we don't embrace these three truths that Jesus is telling us. And so, so, so these three words are what we need to consider in counting the cost. These three words will test us and our ability to withstand the pressures of this life. And the first word is what? It's on the screen. What's the first word? Hate. Jesus says, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And we say, what, Lord? Huh? You want me to hate these people most precious and dear to me? Well, let's talk about that. But Jesus is giving us a, I put it, reality check. We need to have a reality check about our relationships. And this is what he's teaching us. Make sure that no relationship gets in the way of you loving Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving God with all that you have. And what Jesus is teaching us here is the, that we need to surrender ourselves to love God so much. It seems that we hate those to whom we would most naturally love. 
So Jesus is teaching here wholehearted devotion with no competing loyalties to his love. Wholehearted devotion. We love God so much, it's as if we hate everything and everyone else. Now, Jesus is not contradicting the scripture that says, husbands, love your wives, or love your neighbor as yourself. The commandment is not, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and then hate your neighbor. That's not the second commandment. (laughs) The second commandment is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. So the first and second commandments that, that are in the scripture throughout the Bible are to love. To love God first and to love our neighbor as ourself. But, so, but, but what Jesus is saying here is not to contradict other scriptures in that we, of course, don't literally hate our wives or our children. That would be unnatural to a heart that loves God. But he's using it in a comparative sense, again, that in loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's as if, we hate everyone else in comparison. The word hate used in, by Jesus only strikes us as severe because of we know what love is. And hate is only possible where there's what? Where there's love. You can only hate one thing when you love something else, that, that, and, and, what you, and you hate that thing that threatens what you love. So hate is only possible where there is love, because hate threatens what is loved. And so Jesus is saying, do not let anyone or anything get in the way or threaten your love for God. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus put it this way in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 10. Can you read it with me? It says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is what? Not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So that's really what the Lord is teaching here. In other words... We don't follow Jesus just when our parents approve of us following Jesus. We follow Jesus because we love God. And it says in comparison, we hate even our sisters and even our own life. We don't follow Jesus when our children approve of our faith. We follow Jesus no matter what. We don't follow Jesus just when the boss says it's okay for you to be a Christian. No, we follow Jesus whether they say it's okay or not. We follow Jesus through hard, painful situations and no matter what. And so we're talking here about wholehearted devotion. Matthew Henry, the famous Bible commentator. How many of you heard of the Matthew Henry Bible commentary? One of the first Bible commentaries perhaps ever written of the whole Bible. He said... Our comfort and satisfaction in our loved ones must be lost and swallowed up in our love to Christ. Our love to Christ should be so great that it should swallow up everything else. 
And believe me, this will actually, when we put Christ first like this, this will help us love one another really the way that we should. When you, and I'll use his word, when we love him so much that we're hating everyone else, we're actually loving everyone the way we should love them. The second word that Jesus uses here in verse number 27 is the word cross. Now for us, this doesn't strike us as severe. But for a Roman, think of the Romans. This is before Jesus died on the cross. And the disciples still had no real understanding that the Messiah was going to die on the cross for their sins. So the, the, the word cross to them would just like shock their senses and wake them up. Jesus is telling them, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, why would this shock them so much? Because the cross leaves no survivors. There's only one pathway to a cross. And there's no path out of the cross. <laughs> because when you go to the cross, you what? You die. So Jesus is here teaching that we, as his followers, as his disciples, must surrender to go to the cross, the cross being a one-way journey that has no survivors. So this requires personal self-denial. Not only must we hate our wife, our children, our mother, our father, our sisters, and our own life in wholehearted devotion. We must have wholehearted devotion, but here we must have personal self-denial. Take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. Now, why would anyone want to do this? It doesn't sound like very much fun. Say, so I want to go to, I want to go to Disney World. I want to play, uh, I want to play video games. You know, I don't want to go to the cross. I want to go to Great Adventure. I want to have fun. I want to go to the Knicks game. I don't, I don't want to take the cross. I, I, I want to have fun. I mean, a lot of people think that's the purpose of life. Just, I want to have fun. Well, how many of you like to have fun? We like to have fun. Okay, life is fun. Life has a lot of fun to it, no doubt about it. So we're not saying you can't have fun. We're not saying it's wrong to do the things that I just mentioned. I'm not saying that at all. But cross, the, taking our cross is ultimately that we don't live a life of selfishness. And the things that I just referenced, in balance, there's nothing wrong with them. But many people get all of them that I just mentioned off balance. And so their life gets wrapped around fun or adventure and games and, and uh, theme parks or sports. We must deny ourselves. That's the Christian life. We have to what? Deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow the Lord. And, and Jesus is saying now, again, just to keep in mind, if we're going to withstand the pressure of this life, and if we're going to be his true disciple, this is what he said we must do. I didn't, say, I didn't say this. Jesus said in this verse, Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, why does he say that? Because he knows us best. 
And I want to actually look at two scriptures. Go back to Luke 9. If you could go back to that verse. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And this is a parallel passage where he talks here. And he, he references taking our cross in each of the Gospels. But if you look in Luke nine twenty three. Here he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now, that's the only time I believe that's in the Gospels where we take up the cross daily. Paul said, I die daily. But as far as the teachings of Jesus, it's the only time we see that. So taking the cross is not just like you do it. Well, I did that last year. I don't have to do it again. (laughs) No, we have to do this every day. We have to deny ourselves. We have to choose not to live selfishly. And to choose to live godly every moment of the day. So daily, he says, and follow me. Now watch this in verse 24. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. So what is he saying? He's saying that if you live in a way like, I'm not going to let anybody touch what I want to do. I want to have my way, and, and, and you're not going to change me. I'm going to do what I want to save my life. I want to live the life I want to live for myself. Jesus says if you live that way, you're going to lose your life. Ultimately, if you're not saved, in hell. But if you're a Christian and not living a surrendered life, you will lose the joy-filled Christian life. There's a lot of miserable Christians. But then he said here, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake. Now, that losing the life, that has to be the one who does what? Who denying himself and taking up his cross daily and following the Lord. The one who's saying, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. God knows what's best for me. And then he says... In that verse, that whosoever will lose his life for my sake, that's the sake of Jesus Christ. That's because you love him so much as if you hate everything else. For my sake, Jesus said, if you lose your life for the sake of the name and person of Jesus Christ, who is risen again, who is alive, it says the same will what? Save it. That's an amazing statement. So if you really want to save your life in this, in this world and overcome all the pressure of this life, you lose your life, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, you follow the Lord. And so Jesus is teaching here, by taking your cross, you experience true deliverance to abundant life. You save your life. You are delivered from destruction. By losing your life, you're saving your life and you're being delivered from addictions. Many people are destroyed by themselves, by their addictions. So many people. You save your life by losing your life and you're saved from false doctrines and from worldly distractions and you're rescued, if you will. The cross, you know what the cross does? The cross rescues us from ourselves and from the sin of this world and from the pressures of life because when you go to the cross, you what? You die. I'm crucified with Christ. And you can't put pressure on a dead man. Go to a dead man in his casket and put a can of, maybe he was a drunk in his life, 
put a can of beer before a dead man and say, here, have this Budweiser. He's not going to be tempted anymore. He's dead. We're dead in Christ. We have fullness of life, abundant life. We're delivered by taking our cross. Now, go to Matthew 16. And, and I, I never really thought a lot about this. And it's blessed my heart. So I wanted to share it with you that he uses another word here. We just focused on Luke where we, we will save our life, but he doesn't use that word here in Matthew 16 and in a couple of other places. He uses another word, not that will save our life, but notice what it says in Matthew 16 and verse 25, where Jesus is again teaching, very similar, take coming after him, denying himself, take up the cross, follow me, verse 25 Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. That's the same. But then he says, whosoever will save his life for my sake, the ending is different. Shall what? What does he say? Shall find it. Shall find it. If you lose your life, you actually find the best life. You'll find or you'll discover. The idea of find there is to to find through discovery you find or discover the true purpose of your life. You'll find your true reason for being alive. You'll find your life. You'll find your ultimate sense of identity, of who you are. You know, when we die to self, and we choose not to live a selfish life, but a Christ-spirit-filled life, we actually find the purpose of life, and we become the best version of who we should be. (laughs) Sin destroys us. Sin makes us a bad version of what we ought to be. But Jesus comes in, and he will make us the best version. I want, we're all failed, we're all flawed, we're all sinners. But I want to be the best version of Matthew Record that I can be. Amen? You want to be the best version. The way we do that is we die. Now, I use this word identity. It's a big word today in our culture. Where are people going today to find their identity? Are they going to the cross? (laughs) Sad to say they're going to TikTok. And they're finding a group to support them with their sinful ideas. They're joining other movements, sad to say. And I hate to always harp on this, but we are in this precious neighborhood where people have embraced this LGBTQ movement. And you know, this year was a surprising year, I think. The last maybe two years of how quickly this whole choose your pronouns thing entered into business, into schools. And a lot of it is through the... That shows you the power of social media. That it changed the way people are thinking, and they're looking for identity. And so now boys are, many of them are becoming transgender, and they're transitioning to be girls. They think that's their identity. This is, that, that will be a sin. If God made me a boy, that I reject the way God made me, and I want to be a girl. See how I'm fighting God? The LGBTQ, I, I, I it, it's, People are fighting God, but they are looking for their identity. I say, 
If you want to find your true identity, go to the cross and die to yourself. And let Jesus fill you with his love. And be delivered and discover the true purpose of your life. But here's what's coming down the pike next. And we ought to be prepared. Because for many years they did the L and the G. And then Obergefell came down in 2015, which legalized gay marriage, the gay and lesbian. Once that happened, they shifted to the LGB and T, the bisexual transgender. That's why we never heard much about all this pronoun change until 2015 when the Obergefell decision. But this has happened so quickly and people have embraced this in the mainline culture. And it just shows you how pagan we've become. It shows you how anti-God we've become. It shows you how post-Christian we are, really. And so we just have to realize that, understand what's happened. But here's what's coming down. The Q, they haven't really talked about the Q very much. You know what the Q is? Q is queer. You know who queer are? People who are queer, are th- they think they're, they identify as dogs. They identify as wolves. They identify as cats. And we're going to soon have to embrace that and, oh, you're a dog? I'll, I'll accept you for you being a dog. Q is you're attracted to, you are a minor attracted person. You're queer in your orientation. You're a pedo. We call them pedophiles now, but they're changing that also. This is all to break down. Everybody's thinking, and they're coming after, and they've been go- doing this the whole time, but they're coming after who? Our children. And they get our children at this young age and our children will never think about becoming saved unless, of course, by the grace of God and power of God, it breaks through all the lies. So this is the world we're living in. It's put tremendous pressure on us. But I'm saying, Jesus is telling us how to meet the pressure. What do we have to do? Die to self and deny ourselves and follow Him. And in following Him, We are delivered from the sins and addictions of this world and we're and we discover the true purpose of this of our lives. I don't know, maybe young people today who are living for Christ are gonna have to die like John Huss of old. John Huss said, I shall die with joy today in the faith of the gospel, which I have preached. Jesus, Son of God, Son of the Living God, have mercy on me. So that's the second word. The first word was hate. The second word was cross. The third word, I won't take as much time with this, is simply all. It's in verse 33. Jesus said, if we're going to follow him and be his disciple, he says we have to just forsake just some of the things. Is that what he said? (laughs) Jesus says, if we're going to be his disciple, we have to forsake just a few of the things that we want to do. Now, what did he say? All. All. I mean, again, it's a shocking word. It's meant to get our attention. And this is what Jesus said, forsake all. Hudson Taylor said, all is a terribly comprehensive word. (laughs) All, in this context, you know what it means? All. (laughs) It means we have to give Jesus Christ everything. Our whole lives, our time, our talents, our ability, our treasures, forsake all and follow him. All that stuff. So here is all out loyalty. 
The Lord is requiring in the word hate, wholehearted devotion, in the word cross, personal self-denial, in the word all, all out loyalty, all the stuff. Hudson Taylor said it well, give yourself up wholly and fully to him, whose you are and whom you wish to serve in this work, and there can be no disappointment, let there be no reservation, no disappointment. That's a beautiful, I love that quote by Taylor. When we give ourselves to him without reservation, Taylor said this, and he experienced this, and I believe he's true, and I've experienced this when I've given myself to the Lord, or as I give myself to the Lord without reservation. The problem is I give myself to the Lord and I keep jumping off the altar, you know? But we got to keep jumping back on the altar, don't we? Daily. We have to keep taking our cross daily. But when we give ourselves to the Lord without reservation, there is no what? Disappointment. Because when you have Jesus, you have enough. When you have Jesus, you have all that you certainly need. So those are the three words. Hate, cross, and all. Now I want to finish with three truths and counting the cost. And I'm not done because these three truths are so important. The first truth I want us to see when we think, oh, because you, you're saying, oh, wow, you're, this, this, Jesus is asking a lot here, isn't he? Is he asking a lot? Uh, yes, he is. He's asking for everything you have. He's asking you to hate everyone else except to love God first with all your heart. He's asking you to die for, to yourself. He's asking you to forsake all. He, he puts, this is, a, this is not something that we would naturally say, okay, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> but it is, it's his idea. And if we're going to truly be his disciple, these are the three words that define our ultimate discipleship of surrender. So I want us to consider three truths that will help us to see why this is so important. The first truth is this. Remember this. The cost Jesus paid himself is infinitely greater than any cost you or I will have to pay. So whatever I just said, what what we have to do, Jesus Christ did infinitely more than that for you and for me. And I will say this. Jesus counted the cost. You know, the Christian life is a paradox. In a way, to get eternal life, what did it cost us? To get the gift of eternal life, what did it cost us? Nothing. But what did it cost him? It cost him everything. We know that. So on the one hand, salvation is free and costs nothing. The gospel says we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption. That means he paid the price to buy us, to make us his own, that we could become children of God. We come to him without money and without price. No amount of money can get us into heaven. Salvation is absolutely a free gift of God. Salvation costs us nothing, but it costs him everything to redeem us. There's a beautiful song, and I love this song. It's one of those Getty hymns. And the song is, my worth is not in what I own. And these lines touched my heart the first time I heard this song. And they're very profound words. And I thought a little bit about them. But the words are, two wonders here that I confess. 
My worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. And then the chorus, I don't have it there, but it's, I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. To wonders. The wonders are what? My worth and my unworthiness. And I thought, now look at the next line. My worth is measured by the value he fixed on us. What is the value of your soul that Jesus had to pay to redeem you, to buy you? What's the value? His precious blood had to be shed. So that's my worth. In other words, my worth is is defined, it's set by the cross of Jesus Christ. My worth is fixed by the cross of Jesus Christ that it required the very blood of Jesus Christ to redeem me. That shows that we, we are loved with an everlasting love. We are loved with an infinite love. That's our worth. But then the cross also fixes our unworthiness, doesn't it? Because how does it fix our unworthiness? Look what Jesus had to do to to redeem me. That's what I deserve. That shows, the cross shows us what sinners we are, doesn't it? The cross shows us what we actually deserve. If we got justice, we would, we would die and we would be separated from God in hell forever. And Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He cried that from the cross because that's what we deserve to be forsaken of God. But Jesus was forsaken in our place so we could be received. So the cross, man couldn't think of this. Man could not devise this means. But the cross fixes my worth that I am loved. But it fixes my unworthiness that I am a sinner. And that's why I need Jesus Christ. For his love, for his redemption. And Jesus counted the cost. He does not ask us to do what he has not first done. When he came, he said all things written by the prophets would be accomplished. When he was on the cross, it says just before he said, I thirst, he says, knowing that all things had been fulfilled. Jesus knew when he came that he would give himself to the world and that he would come under the power of hatred and darkness of this world. He knew that when he was before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate and before all those soldiers, when he was being tried and accused and then ultimately condemned to the cross, that there was the power of darkness, there was the power of the devil himself who was behind all of this. Jesus knew, he counted the cost, and he knew what was written in the prophets would be done to him. He knew he would be despised, laughed to scorn, his bones pulled from their sockets, his tongue would cleave to its jaw, that they would gamble for his clothes while he suffered in pain, and he knew he would be forsaken of God for you and for me. Jesus counted the cost, and he knew, and he prophesied, even in his earthly life, that he would be betrayed, scourged. You know what scourging is? 
He would be scourged and beat upon his back until it would be shredded flesh. And he would be spit upon and shamefully entreated. He knew, he counted the cost that he would go to the cross and be crucified. He knew all that. He counted the cost, but he also knew he would what? Rise again. He counted the cost. He knew coming to earth he was going to give up fellowship with his father and face accusing religious hypocrites. He knew he was going to leave the worship of angels and face mocking soldiers. He knew he was going to give up the joy of heaven for the shame and spitting and scourging of this world. And what we have is a free gift, but it is the most priceless possession we could ever own. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Didn't cost us a penny, but it cost him everything. And he counted the cost of what it would be to buy you. And that's why we should do what he's saying we should do. We should count the cost because he first did. And then I'll say this. I won't be as long. But the second thing, not only did the cost Jesus pay was infinitely more than any cost that we will have to pay. But the worth of Christ is infinitely greater than anything this world can give. Boy, I remember when I was a kid, I would look so forward to Christmas. My parents made Christmas a big deal. My, my parents, they wouldn't let us like go downstairs to the tree until my dad was first down there. And he had, he had a movie projector and with a bright light. And I still remember that as a kid, coming down the stairs and my dad would have the bright light. And then after Christmas, we would watch... We would, he had the projector and we would get, he would get it developed. This is before the days of even VCR things. He had to get it developed. It was like, a, what do you call it? It was like a, a reel. It was like a, a movie. It was, we were watching home movies. And, oh, and there was no sound or anything, but we would just love that as a family. And, but we would watch our Christmas times together. And it, it was a special time. I remember sometimes before Christmas, my sister and I, we would go down the stairs when my parents were still asleep because they would be up half the night getting, and we would be down there and looking at all the gifts and, oh, wow, look at, oh, look at that big one you got. Oh, where's my big one, you know? And, uh, and we would be looking for the gifts and, and then we would go back upstairs and then come down when we were supposed to, you know, later on. But, but all those gifts that we were looking forward to, I don't, I don't even remember what they were. I certainly don't have them anymore, and I certainly wouldn't even want them, being a 65-year-old man. Oh, I'm only 64. (laughs) But what I'm saying today is these gifts that that we get at Christmas time, they really don't have any value. Maybe it's what you really, oh, I just have to have that. I I remember one year, everybody had to have those, uh, what was that? I can't even think of that TV show. But there was some gift every year, you know, there was, you just have to have this gift, whatever, you know. But we don't even have those gifts anymore. They seem important at the moment, but then in time, they fade away, right? Am I right? But having Jesus will never fade away. Having Jesus only gets better every day. Having Jesus and knowing Jesus is infinitely greater than anything this world can give. And I give, you, I give you Hudson Taylor quotes and Charles Spurgeon quotes. This is my quote. The whole world is good for nothing 
If you don't have Jesus, Matt Recker said that. Okay. <laughs> and the third thing I'll say is the victory of Christ is infinitely greater than any prize this world can give. Do you know why you should take your cross, deny yourself, follow the Lord? Why you should count the cost and hate your own life? Take the cross and surrender and forsake all? You know why we should do that? Because the victory of Jesus Christ is far greater, infinitely greater than any prize this world can give. People want to know the future. We know the future, (laughs) don't we? Well, we don't know every detail about it, but we know the important thing about it. We know the most important aspect of the future is that this world is going to end on God's timetable and not man's. And that Jesus Christ is going to come back King of kings and Lord of lords. And He'll set up His kingdom on earth and He will rule on the throne of David forever. We know the future. Jesus wins. He's victorious. So count the cost. And join Jesus. And be His disciple. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank you, Lord. That you tell us the truth. This life is hard. We are weak. We are often crushed. We are often in despair. But we're not cast down and we're not destroyed. And we're still here, Lord, seeking you. And I pray, God, that you would touch every heart to join the greatest human expedition upon which we can embark in this life. And that's to say yes to your call, to count the cost, And surrender ourselves as your disciple. Help us to say, yes, Lord, I will be your disciple now and into the year ahead. Just a few moments, this year is going to be over. You'll face a new year. So the challenge to you is simply this, to say yes to Jesus Christ. Count the cost as Jesus himself did and then live for him. Because he lived for you and loves you to this very moment. He's praying for you. In this world, so many people's lives are occupied by weak things and inconsequential things. People's minds have never been gripped with Christ-centered thoughts. Their hearts have never been stirred with Christ's dying love. Their hands have never grown weary by lifting a great burden for Jesus' sake. Their feet have never grown tired in carrying the gospel of Christ. But I'm asking you today to count the cost. Take your cross. And may your feet grow tired in carrying the gospel this year. May your hands grow weary building for Jesus this year. May your hearts be stirred with the love of Christ this year. May your mind be gripped with Christ this year. May you say, yes, Lord, I will be your disciple. I will follow you. Can I see your hand? Just say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I want to be your disciple because of your love to me. Just put it up and just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the great cost you paid to buy me. Thank you, Lord, for your infinite love. Thank you, Lord, 
for your infinite value and worth. And to know you is better than knowing anything else this world has to give. Thank you, Lord, for your victory. You're coming soon. Lord, help me to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved. But today I want to end this year and begin a new year by calling on Jesus Christ to be my Savior, to be sure I'm on my way to heaven. Can I see your hand today? Is there anyone who'd say, pray for me? Pastor, I'm not sure if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. I need to know, I want to know, I must know how I, that I'm going to heaven if I were to die. Life is short. It's a vapor of time. Like water spilled on the ground, you can't get it back. Will you call on the Lord today? Is there anyone who say, yes, I need to be saved? Can I see your hand? So now, Lord, we thank you. And please bless and work in our hearts. Cleanse us of our sins. Fill us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.